Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith in Marriage. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and truly grateful to share this episode with you today. Can you believe that it's been a year? A year of podcasting. That's really amazing. This episode launched today on October 1st, 2019, marks a year that I've been doing this show. So I'm truly grateful to you, my listeners, for chiming in and giving feedback and spreading the love and continue to sharing the good works that the show has done. So thank you all for, for listening and for sharing. And it's truly been a blessing in my life. Well, if you have been listening to the show, you've picked up a theme of suffering as being an inescapable part of the path to holiness. And we've discussed a lot of different types of way that suffering could emerge in our lives. And in this episode, we're going to continue that theme and talk about a particular way that pain can manifest in our life. What happens when we have been hurt by the church? I've worked for the church my entire adult life, and I've heard from many stories from people who've worked in the church proper, both in counseling and in my own experience as well, that, yeah, you know, at times bad things can happen, even when we serve the institution itself. And when that happens, it's a particular type of suffering, a particular type of pain, because it becomes difficult to reconcile our faithfulness and our desire and our drive to want to serve God and his church with the reality of human sin that still exists even within her ranks. And so in this episode, we're gonna tackle that topic and try to lay out a process of what healing can look like for you. So in today's episode, I welcome Father Thomas Berg, Vice Rector of St. Joseph Seminary in Yonkers, New York. Father Berg wrote a book recently called Hurting in the Church, A Way Forward for Wounded Catholics. And in the book, he details his experiences of leaving a religious community the Legionnaires of Christ that unfortunately went through some pretty horrific circumstances with their founder. And Father Berg details his experiences of leaving the community, transitioning back into diocesan life, as well as just his own journey of healing by having to reconcile, again, this notion of a call into a community and then horrific experiences happening and then being called out of that. That process is very common for many of us who have worked within the church and I pray that this that this episode helps you to be able to reconcile your faith and your experience and your pain and to bring God's loving mercy into that so that you can continue to move forward in your spiritual life. So another great episode is here for you today. When it is done, please don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a review. All of it helps to be able to get the word out some more. And let's keep going forward and see what year two brings for the Always Hope podcast. So God bless everybody and enjoy this episode. Well, good morning, Father Thomas Berg. Welcome to the Always Hope podcast. How are you doing today? Great. Good to be with you, Mario. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Calling all the way from, from New York, and here we are in New Orleans. I'm always grateful for uh, technology and being able to do things like this. It's just awesome. Um, so uh, we're going to have, a, I think, a, a fun episode today, I hope, for people. Um, in many ways, I feel like, if I may say this, um, no pressure here, but I think the past year of shows that I've done have really kind of led um, towards this particular conversation. Um, and so I, I recently finished reading your book, Hurting in the Church, uh, A Way Forward for Wounded Catholics, um, published by Our Sunday Visitor. Um, I believe you finished, this was published in 2016, something like that, three years ago. 
2017. So a couple of years ago, my apologies. Um, and so just want to, by way of introduction here to introduce yourself to the, to the audience and, and kind of what inspired you to write this book. Um, and, uh, yeah, just kind of how, how it's been, how it's been doing for you. Sure. Just, uh, give you the quick version. <laughs> um, so I was, I was, uh, immensely blessed to be ordained a Catholic priest in the year 2000. Um, and in the context of belonging to, um, a religious congregation, which I had joined 13 years earlier, the Legionaries of Christ. And if, you know, if your listeners are familiar with um, that particular chapter in the church's history, uh, it eventually came to light that the founder of the Legionaries had been living a double life and um, had sexually abused seminarians and and others. Um, And sadly, the uh, congregation was pretty much kind of swept up in sort of a web of uh, deceptions and manipulations and Anyway, I, like many other former members of, of the congregation, uh, you know, had to had to deal with those revelations, which came in 2009. And uh, that was traumatic. That was, you know, um, for me personally, that was that meant uh, kind of a, a very deep uh, trauma on many levels. You know, I found myself at, you know, age 44, um, pretty much with my life turned upside down as a Catholic yeah. priest. And um, so... Long story short, I, as part of my uh, kind of personal therapy and seeking healing, I I just started writing, and um, I wasn't sure, I didn't know at the time, but that writing would eventually become uh, become the the book. And um, thanks be to God, I, I think um, our Lord, among other things, has been able to use my experience and especially my experience of my personal road of of healing to share that with. Uh, unfortunately, many others in the church who, for different reasons and in different walks uh, and in their own vocations, have had, you know, hurtful, traumatic, emotionally traumatic experiences in the church, something which is unfortunately far more common than um, than I think most Catholics realize or would want to admit. And um, yeah, I, thanks be to God, the book has been fruitful in... Um, you know, being part of a, a process of, of healing, uh, rediscovering faith and trust and hope in God and, and in his church, and um, especially in these very troubled times. Amen. Well, first and foremost, I want to thank you for your courage and your vulnerability in the book. Um, it's really apparent that you are, you're, you're being honest and appropriate in your honesty and, and really allowing the, the reader to kind of go on the journey with you as you're making sense of um, kind of what happened and, and how to move forward with it and kind of providing a blueprint for for others who have had similar experiences. And, and I'll say in my life as uh, both as just a faithful individual, but then as a counselor as well, um, I mean, I've heard so many stories of people who have been hurt by the church. And, and I can say in my own experience, you know, uh, just briefly, I guess, just to kind of put it out there is in you know 2007, I I uh, finished my graduate studies and then um, moved back to to Florida to to work with a, a ministry, and uh, and I thought that that ministry was kind of it, and so um, I thought that that was what I was supposed to be doing, and then it turned out that there were other things happening that 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 you know I don't need to go into all the details right now, but ended up leaving, and you know when you leave an experience like that, um, 
I guess sometimes people, it's hard for, to, to uh, articulate that to others who don't get it because it's kind of like, well, you know, you had a job and you move on and, and that's it. But it's more than that. It's, it's like, well, I discerned this call. I discerned, I thought this kind of small v vocation, I really thought that this was the Lord's will in my life. So why would I get smacked so hard in the face, you know, seemingly by God, mm-hmm. like when like, like, mm-hmm. and, and so it's more than just kind of like this question of, well, that job didn't work out for you. You know, you got to kind of keep moving on. It's like, no, no, there's like a deeper, right. a deeper wound, a deeper pain that's connected to, uh, to, to discernment, to faithfulness in God, to trusting God, to who God is. And it just opens up a whole host of questions, um, inside of ourselves. Oh yes, it, it it certainly does, and um, I kind of I have. It's interesting you should share that because I uh, in the book um, I, sh- I share a similar experience, and um, you know I explain again without getting all the details, but um, how for years I had just kind of assumed that my process of discernment entering the legionaries was, you know, was fine, was proper, et cetera, et cetera. And then when, when my world got turned upside down, I kind of went to our Lord and said, Hey, uh, you know, what's going on here? Because I, you know, I gave you a blank check. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I gave you a blank check and you seem to have made it out to the, you know, to this, to this religious family. And uh, what's going on with that? And I, you know, I had to, and I share this in the book, how over with, through prayer and allowing our Lord to kind of heal my vision, looking back on the past, I also had to understand that, well, in actuality, my, you know, I can't, so I can't, I can't just blame him. That's, he can't be my scapegoat. You know, I, right. um, in actuality, what I was calling discernment was a very defective discernment process, um, and so on. So I kind of had to own part of, you know, what went wrong and then grapple with our Lord, you know, Oh, well, why'd you let me do that? <laughs> you know, which is actually, actually a pretty, a pretty big wound, you know, even today, you know, but I think the beautiful thing though, too, has, you know, going back in prayer again and again, and uh, opening that wound to our Lord, allowing him to show me, well, okay, it happened, but I was here, I was here, I was doing this, I was doing that, I was taking advantage of this, I was shaping you here, I was, you know, just to see how in the midst of a very uh, objectively um, disordered kind of, you know, the, the internal disorder of uh, imbalance and so forth of this religious family and other things that were going on and manipulation and deception and so forth, our Lord was working and he was using that time. He was using those years. Uh, I was a member of the congregation for 23 years, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, I talk about that in the book. Uh, So uh, it's, that's part of the healing process. Go back and see, wow, Lord, you really were there. And something that takes time and that can take, taken years to, to really come to see and for him to show me where he was and what he was doing. I don't know that I've still gotten a satisfactory answer. Why did you let this happen? Can we, go, can we go back to this one more time, one more time, Lord? Why did you let this happen? Mercy. You know, so I want to, I want to hold on that blank check analogy that you just threw out there. Cause I, I, I laughed actually when not, not, not to be inappropriate, but I was like, Oh, he gets it. Like this guy, that's, that's it. You know, because I think that, you know, and even in counseling with people who've come out of uh, religious situations that have been awful or just, I mean, bless our dioceses and chanceries, but sometimes, man, the culture is, 
let's just be honest. Sometimes it's it's not the most um, it's not the healthiest. And so, what, no. what's troubling for young people, and, and I consider myself at that time I was a young person, is that you know you grow up, you have this this experience in college or in high school, and Jesus is good, God loves everybody. Yes, it's awesome. And you do, you feel like you're supposed to give a blank check to God, that you're supposed to, mm -hmm. I'm discerning God's will. And then, and then, man, I get smacked hard. And, and what's hard about it is it's, it's not like I was in a sinful situation, quote unquote, you know, it was like, I wasn't like mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. sex and doing drugs or in criminal activity where you expect, I hate this, this sounds so negative. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be judgmental of anybody in the circumstances. Please listeners have patience with me, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> but, but, but just, but just saying that like, there's a place where, where we're pursuing God's will. And then, and then, and then the, 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 the world still can get turned upside down. And, and I'm not saying that to be cynical to anybody. I'm just saying that the, that hardships are there and suffering happens. And so um, you, you laid out just kind of a little bit of the process in your own journey, but kind of a little bit more, if you don't mind. Like when, if somebody's coming out of a bad situation, if they've really been hurt by the church, and you lay out mm -hmm. a number of beautiful examples, um, bad confession, um, a, a boss, a situ, you know, employment in the church, all different types of examples that you lay out in the book. Mm -hmm. For somebody who's listening to this and maybe have just recently had a negative interaction or they're at the first steps of some experience like this. Uh, what what are what's kind of a first step in counsel that you offer for individuals? Sure, sure. Well, hopefully, I mean, with uh, you know, our Lord would be merciful and and guide as that person prays and seeks uh, out a person to share this with. Our Lord would put that person in their lives. I was you know, it's first of all blessed to blessed with uh, a priest uh, that I could reach out to as a spiritual director during this time of crisis. Um, friend of mine who was uh, he's a counselor who gave me some coaching with all the emotions that I was feeling. And um, so I think first thing is reaching out to persons that you can trust, um, including God willing, um, a, a priest who is a priest, religious, a deacon, someone, maybe someone in the service of the church, but who, is objective and detached from the immediate situation or, you know, maybe from outside the diocese or whatever, um, that could listen to you and really validate what happened to you, you know? Um, and so someone to, with whom you can share your story and who would not be dismissive or who would not simply say, well, look, suck it up. That's the way life is in the church and you just got to deal with it. You know, um, someone who would really be sympathetic and understand and, and listen. I think that's one of the most in important initial things, but then of course, prayer and, you know, taking this to Jesus. And first of all, first of all, acknowledging before our Lord, what happened, acknowledging the wound. And um, that's sometimes that, you know, we're we're very very good at minimizing you know again we're also we, we can also be good at exaggerating things you know mm -hmm. so um um you know um there's all different sizes of hurts but when it you know when it's big stuff when it's actually big stuff and we're actually talking about emotional trauma um we can be very good at minimizing it we can be very good thing well okay i'll i mean i'll get over it and um there we have to, you know, take that to prayer. And, and for some reason, sometimes that's the last thing we want to do, to acknowledge it before the Lord and say, 
Lord, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm really hurting. I have this wound and actually I'm angry. And uh, Lord, I, to be honest, I'm kind of angry at you. I don't understand why this has happened or what, what's the meaning of this or how you could have allowed this. And um, to take all that to him. And, and, and that's really, that begins then uh, what can be probably a, a lengthy process of allowing the Lord then to, through other avenues and through other people and hopefully through good spiritual direction, confession, just to, to help us to deal with that wound and, and to, you know, in some cases it takes him to help us to look back. Sometimes we, where, you know, healing is going to take a, a while because first of all, we need a little distance, you know, when we're just dealing with the immediacy of what happened, we've got, we need time to let those emotions um, kind of settle down a little bit. And, um, but to, to trust that our Lord can bring us on a, a journey of healing to, you know, to really trust, you know, this doesn't, this makes absolutely no sense to me right now. This has been so hurtful. I'm, you know, maybe even on the brink of walking away from the church, or maybe I'm just, just so traumatized. I just can't understand. We just need to trust that our Lord is there and present with us and he will lead us through this. Amen. Okay. So a couple options, a couple of things there you just threw out. And one is reaching out to somebody who can be a support, spiritual director, a priest, um, a counselor, and then also bringing, bringing this to prayer. Um, I think that with, with assessing the situation, honestly, and you talk about this in the book and, and this has been my experience as well, kind of in my life and again, even as a counselor is sometimes that's really hard because, because there's such a dissonance of what I thought a vocation was supposed to look like, what I thought a path or journey to holiness or, or service of the church is supposed to look like, whatever image I have of the church or image I have of God, um, it, it, it runs contrary to, to the experiences that we have in, in when we've been hurt deeply. And I think what I'm trying to encourage people to do is to, to acknowledge that um, your experience might be right. And, and sometimes that's hard because that means that, that there has to be kind of a, a, sh- a shared blame, both on behalf of the, the, the person who hurts you, but then also on yourself and acknowledging, okay, well, was my, na- my naivete play a role in this? Was this bad discernment? Um, was my arrogance or, or was there pride or anything else that, that I contributed mm-hmm. to it? But it does require kind of a, an assessment of both and that maybe this community isn't as squeaky clean as, as the brochures make them mm-hmm. out to be, right? You know, right. um, and maybe my heart isn't as squeaky clean as, as I would like it to be also. <laughs> that it, it is in, in acknowledging the truth of a situation, there is a both and in this. Um, and, and we have to be humble before the Lord as, as we bring all of this, all of this to him. Um, but you know, when you talk about bringing this to God and prayer, um, for a lot of people that can be really hard. Um, yes, easy, easier said than done. Yeah. Very, very, very much so. Um, partly because sometimes the hurts are so big that, uh, we almost feel like we can't, you know, we can't pray. And I mean, I, I share in the book, very honestly, I think the the deepest, darkest moment of my crisis, I mean, I um, discovered myself one day actually considering, you know, seeking laicization and, mm. and walking away from, from mm. priestly ministry. And, and not only that, but really 
asking myself, you know, do I believe any of this anymore? Because what, when the, the deeper the hurt, the more it, um, and I'm sure the enemy of our souls takes advantage of this, but it, it can, the desolation can be so deep that it really doesn't take too long before um, an individual is just questioning, you know, how can I, if this happened to me, how can I believe in any of this? Mm. You know, how the whole, you know, it's, it would seem that, you know, the faith has suddenly just become this precarious house of cards that, you know, is just about to collapse. And, and that's just a very dark moment. And I just encourage any listener who's you know going through that, gone through that, um, to, you know, to just hang on. Um, somehow I, our Lord was able to reach and push me beyond that. And, uh, but I did find myself really pushed to the, you know, to a place where I had to ask, well, okay, what, what is the basic thing that I really believe here? What, what has been my fundamental experience? What's the bedrock here? And the bedrock, you know, uh, praise God was, was just to, to be able to go back to my life experience and say, well, wait a minute. I, I encountered Jesus once upon a time. I have a personal relationship with him. I've experienced grace in my life. That is real. And I don't, and I don't doubt that. I don't question that, you know, and then, and then it was really a question of kind of building back up from there. Okay. Well, then, then how do we get to this? (laughs) How do we, how do we get to what happened and start making, making sense of it? You know? Um, So yeah, it's, and of course, in all of that, I mean, being, um, it wasn't, it was very hard to it was very hard to, to open up. Um, but I think there are the challenges to, to keep persevering and, and maybe just to start there to say, Lord, I, to be honest, I don't know if you're here anymore. I, I'm not sure what I believe. I don't know what, uh, I'm just really being shaken to my roots here. Um, Lord, help me, you know, re- reach out to me, show me. And, and that, that grace, that grace will be there when, you know, when we ask for it. If you don't mind me asking here, um, why did you stay? I mean, you, see, um, you say you got you got yeah. pushed to the brink there in your vocation and discernment, and right. And, I, and I'm not trying to be voyeuristic, and I apologize. My question, no. maybe in the phrasing, no, no. phrasing of it, but just just wondering what that process was for you. Yeah, um, it was I, uh, the just the idea of rebuilding. You know, mm-hmm. comes to because it's really a it's what, what gets shaken is the whole belief system. Mm. You know, it's like, a, it's like an earthquake and the whole, the whole blanket structure <laughs> becomes very weakened. And so I had to go back down to, okay, what do, what do I, what do I truly know to be true? And that was of course the love, you know, the love of Jesus. And, um, in that expression of beautiful expression of, of St. Paul and Ephesians rooted and grounded in love. I was like, okay, you know, yeah, that's me rooted and grounded in love, um, in love, in the love of our Lord and in his call. So I stayed because fundamentally I was able to eventually kind of reconnect with the initial call to priesthood, which actually came first. It predated my supposed discernment or call to, you know, to the legionaries, to, um, to this religious community. So what was really radically there at root was, 
my relationship with our Lord, um, the action of grace in, in my life and the call to priesthood. And I was a priest and, and I actually had lived many, many fruitful years already as, as a priest. And, um, so as tempting as it was to walk away from that and, oh, never, <laughs> not to mention all the other, you know, chaos and stuff going on in the rest of the church, <laughs> not just with my religious family, <laughs> um, you know, the temptation there to nonetheless to, to walk away and say, you know, I'm done, you know, I've had enough, I've given enough, I'm done. Um, it was very strong. But in the end, it was a question of fidelity, and I just couldn't, I could not walk away from him. I could not walk away from the one who continued to be present in my life and continued to call me to priesthood. And, oh, by the way, to try to um, yeah, jump in here and see if you can, <laughs> see if you can be an instrument in helping, helping us fix this mess. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think, and I think that was eventually too part of the, the sense that, um, wow, I, there's something that maybe our Lord wants to do here in, in, in trying to bring healing to his church. And then I, you know, very much, it was about the same time I was transitioning into work here in the seminary, uh, doing formation work with future priests, which has been, I think, frankly, an enormous part of my own healing process because I'm able to, you know, even though it's just my two, my two cents and my, sometimes my grain of salt, but to be able to contribute to somehow to the formation of future priests and to have a hand and to be investing most of my energies uh, into, you know, collaborating with God's grace to try to get this question, right. How do we form future priests? How do we, how do we avoid uh, the nightmare of clergy sexual abuse scandal? How do we, how do we avoid this going forward? You know, I'm, I'm an active and direct frontline participant in that process. And I, you know, it was just, I think it was a sense that our Lord was calling me to that precisely because of the trauma that I had suffered. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Mario Sikas, and I'm taking a quick break from my interview with Father Thomas Berg to invite you to check me out on the socials. Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa at D-R-M-A-R-I-O-S-A-C-A-S-A. Check me out on Facebook where I got movie reviews and reflections and family life waiting for you there. Uh, and I love to be able to interact with fans and with uh, other friends and, and former guests of the show and just being able to continue the conversation that we're having here on the podcast. So God bless everybody and look forward to interacting with you on social media. Amazing. Well, I want to echo a couple of things that you just said in, in, in my own journey is similar that I remember it was like 2011. I'm coming at the end of this kind of experience that, that, that I've had. And I remember sitting in my counseling office by myself, just staring at my desk or my bookshelf rather, and just mm-hmm. looking at all the books and being like, okay, they're all theology books or books about marriage. And it's like, all right, Lord, well, this is the found, do I believe? I mean, this, this was this was the foundational moment for me where I just get where when I got stripped down to my foundation. Similarly, I said, "Okay, well, where where can I confidently 
rest in knowing that you have been present in my life. And immediately I went back to my vocation also. I went back to my wedding day. I went back to my kids. I went back to my wife. And I said, I don't doubt that. That's real. Okay, that's real. And if I believe that this is all a sacramental gift image of your love and presence to the world, then that means that's a, that's a, a sacramental love and gift to me personally. And, uh, and so, so I hold on to that. And then I went back to my conversion in college as well and things that I just couldn't doubt. And so it's similar, you just get stripped back down to the foundations, to the basics of faith. And then you say, okay, well then how do we, how do we build this up going forward? And in the things that you've offered so far in terms of, um, allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to wrestle with your doubts at an emotional level, mm-hmm. but then also at a cognitive level. And I want to talk about this just in a second before you, and then moving into kind of what it means to be at the service. So I want to hold off on that just, just for a minute, that, that last piece mm-hmm. you're talking about, mm-hmm. but in terms of the the cognitive kind of cognitions of thoughts, again, you say this in the book that there's times where, where we then get into, we struggle with, with um, what ends up becoming really contradictory statements inside of us. And and uh, just quoting here a couple, you say, you know, the institutional church, this is, these are conflicting statements that we have to reconcile after being hurt here, which is um, the institutional church has pledged itself to nurture me spiritually, to challenge, strengthen and sanctify me for living the Christian life, to provide me a safe place where I can be open and vulnerable and where I can genuinely experience Christian love and friendship. That's what we profess. And at the same time, the institutional church has betrayed my trust and failed to protect me from the traumatic experience of X. Any thoughts and just kind of how you're able to kind of reconcile these contradictory, you know, statements, um, right. Narratives right. in your mind. Yeah, I, thanks. Yeah. Um, and I, I share that in, in that chapter just to kind of illustrate the, the, what the person who's been hurt, the situation we find ourselves in, we, we have to reconcile these kind of at the cognitive level, you know, these apparently contradictory statements. You know, we could state, state them in different ways. Um, or as I say, they're kind of stepping back. You have to you know, reconcile, you know, God who is father and who loves me with an eternal love. And uh, God has allowed me to experience this hurt. And so, you know, how do you, and, and the actual, the healing process, a way to understand it is actually, yeah, putting, putting those two apparently contradictory statements together into one package and, and, and seeing that they're not actually contradictory. Um, and, uh, like I, I, I told you before we got on, you know, uh, started taping <laughs> I'm still, that book, that chapter, especially was just the first pass of trying to figure this out. So I don't, I don't have all the answers. Come on, Father Berg, know, that, give us the answers. <laughs> you wrote the book, man. Come on. <laughs> it, when I wrote it, it sounded good. So, um, but no, but I, I, you know, I think that's really, it's kind of an illustration of, of the struggle. And like I was, I was sharing earlier, uh, I still go back to that. You know, I still go back to Jesus. You know, okay. Why? Okay. You, you loved me. You called me to consecrate myself to you and you allowed me to wander into this, uh, bastion of, of disorder and suffer this trauma. So how does that work? <laughs> you know, how do, how do, how do you, you, you're the one in the same person. And, and so there, you know, we have to open ourselves up to, you know, the mystery, there's no, there's no getting around, uh, the mystery of God and his permissive will and, and, um, which is love. So his permissive will is also 
his love. Uh, and it's an infinite love. And it's, it's the God who, the God who so honors the gift of freedom that he's given his children, that he does not step in to intervene when his children use that freedom, even in grotesque ways to hurt each other, to hurt others. Um, so somehow mystery of Providence can still overcome that. And he is also the Lord who, who draws good, draws blessing, um, brings grace from, from the hurt and from the wound and, and from the disorder, from disorder into order. He's, he's the God who turns chaos and creation. He's, he's the loving father who can, um, who gives us life even in the, you know, from, from the elements of, of disorder and woundedness. So, um, that, but I, I think the moral of the story here is that that, that whole thing, trying to reconcile those seemingly contradictory realities for the person who's been hurt, especially you know, in the church, that's, that can be a lifelong process. And I'm sure I will be going down the road, maybe, you know, uh, a year from now about when I do my annual retreat, my spiritual exercise, I'm going to, I know I'm going to be back there again, <laughs> you know, okay, Lord, let's, let's do this one more time. <laughs> how did, well, how does this work? So, uh, I mean, I know I'll be, but uh, every time we do that, I think we can also come away with, you know, more healing and uh, the wounds, you know, by the way, we, you know, this whole idea of, you know, just getting over something. I mean, there's certain things in life yeah, you can get over, uh, you know, even, even some emotional hurts and yeah, I mean, hopefully we can get over a lot of them, but when it's really trauma, you know, the, the wounds don't necessarily completely go away or completely heal. I mean, they heal to some extent, um, but they're, they can kind of always be there, you know, and we have to get used to life you know, life with a wound and, and learning how our Lord can draw from that wound, you know, just like his, just like his own glorious wounds, which can to this day continue to be the source of grace, um, yeah. you know, for his church. So, um, right. It's, so the great, it's, um, it's the great contradiction of, of the, the Christian message is that God who is love died on the cross and that yes. we are all as believers and followers of him are, are meant to, uh, we have to pick up our cross as he says, and to follow after mm -hmm. him. And that means that the, if we're going to profess to be Christians, that the, that the cross will manifest itself in our lives. And we don't necessarily know how or, or why, but the mystery is there. And, and, and that, that's again, not to be, um, um, again, this, the, the temptation here is always cynicism. And, and I'll just speak to that. Um, that that's not to be a cynical statement. That's to, in some ways, to be realistic and to recognize that that through the cross we've been saved, and 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 so God invites mm -hmm. us then in the way that the cross manifests itself in our lives to to lead us through that pain into a deeper sense of Christian perfection, a deeper sense of Christian charity, um, a deeper sense of Christian hope um, for ourselves first and foremost in our own journey, and and then because God is incredibly economical to then invite others into that journey to be a conduit of grace for others as well. Like it would be wrong to say that God led you through everything you went through just so you can write that book, you know, like that, right. that, that would be, that would be erroneous, but that you took the experiences of your life and then wrote the book out of response of fidelity right. to the Lord in the midst of your pain to help others. Um, 
in in that that's heroic. I mean, that's heroic virtue in 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 charity that that we're all called to um, in in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, exactly. I I, I mean, um, I don't I, I don't know if I've been heroic, but <laughs> <laughs> I certainly because I mean, there's, there was a lot of a lot of uh, you know self invested in that too. I mean, I was I was looking for healing, and, and the book became sure. you know kind of a source, a source of that as well. But, um, but that's absolutely right. I mean, the father, father watches, allows the son and watches the son be crucified. Not, not because he's some kind of, you know, monster who deliberately wills all these things, but, you know, God who allows mystery and, and who, most of all, allows the mystery of human freedom, um, and is is larger than our freedom, and whose love and providence uh, can bring about, you know, a greater a, a greater magnificence than we could ever understand. I always love that um, that story, uh, you know, attributed to Padre Pio, um, when you try and explain why bad things happen. And he, and he uses that, Im- that image of the tapestry or the, um, you know, the kind of the knitting where, you know, on, on, on one side you see, you, know, you just see all these strings and knots and kind of does, it doesn't make any sense. And it looks ugly when you see it from the underside, you know, is that I think the image he uses, you know, child watching his mom, you know, do this on her lap, but then she, she flips the embroidery over and shows the child the beautiful design on the other side. And I think Padre Pio's point is that we're we're kind of stuck on the underside of the embroidery, so we can't, we can't make we can't make much sense out of a lot of things. Um, but one day we'll see. One day we'll see the magnificence and the beauty of this wonderful tapestry uh, orchestrated by God's provident love. Amen. That's hope. That's a very hopeful message and, and image that's there. Now, one, one, let's kind of keep moving here. So one of the things you talk about in the book um, that I thought was very helpful for me personally, and so I'd like to just spend a couple minutes here, is mm-hmm. regarding the difference between faith in God and belief in the church. Mm-hmm. Could you tease that yeah. out a little bit more and, and help me understand uh, the difference between faith in God and belief in the church and why that distinction isn't just splitting hairs, but is actually important for us um, as we're processing sure. our pain? Sure. Yeah. Just to, it's actually and there's it's actually a, a pretty um, pretty deep uh, theological reality. But just to try to simplify this a, a little bit, um, obviously when people have been hurt in the church, uh, they're they're mad at the church and they're ready to walk away from the church, and it, it can kind of fuel this, um, you know, the cultural trend of well, you know, I'm spiritual but not religious or, you know, Jesus, yes, institutional church, no. And, and, um, and so the question a lot of people struggle is why the Catholic church? I love Jesus. I can't stand the church. You know, I love Jesus. I can't stand the bishops. Uh, and so the, the, the point is that our faith, faith is Catholics. What's, what's the, the root object of that faith. It's not the church per se. I don't actually have faith in the church. So the way the fathers use that particular expression, especially going back centuries when they're uh, 
formulating the creed, when you say, I believe in, that's attributed to the three persons of the Trinity. And that in, that preposition in, has huge theological significance. It means that when I, when I believe, first of all, believing is a superhuman act. So it, it really takes God's grace. It's my, my free will joined to the power of God to actually believe. And that believing is kind of, it, it happens because I'm immersed in God. I, I believe from within my immersion in God who gives me that interior light to embrace and say yes to to this wondrous belief, what I, what I, what I have before me, this wondrous truth that I have. So, and then it's only because of that, because I'm anchored, because I'm grounded in the Trinity, because because my belief is in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that I then therefore can profess faith in the Church, which our Lord instituted, right, with all, with its human, also human, and its divine reality. So uh, we can have, we can have all kinds of problems with, you know, Lord, did you really, I mean, couldn't you have done this a different way? (laughs) (laughs) The perennial question. (laughs) Yeah, Lord, do you think you could have maybe got some input before you, you know, the church this way? But The church is what it is, right? And the church is also the spotless bride of of Christ. So, but it's only first of all from my faith in the Trinity that I'm then able to profess faith in the church. Um, And thank God I'm grounded and anchored in the Trinity because if someone were just asking me point blank to believe in the Catholic Church, I don't know anybody who would just, you know, accept that proposition without first without supernatural faith uh, in God. Right. Um, So, so yes, I mean, ultimately um, are we, yes, you know, that's part of the, you know, part of our creed. It's part of, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, but only because first and foremost, we believe in the father, son and Holy spirit. Amen. So, and this is such an important distinction because our faith ultimately rests in God. And in, in in, I love the way you said it. You said, we believe the church. We believe that the church is pointing us towards God because there is a temptation at times to, to confuse the two, to be honest, or to make the church an, mm-hmm. end, an end to and of itself. Uh, we would say mm-hmm. in religious terms, we would say that, that we, we can make the church an idol and forget that it is an icon um, of, of, yes. of, of God's grace and that it's pointing to that eternal love of the Trinity. And I think knowing that distinction is, is important because while the bride is spotless, um, it is riddled with human beings who are not. And so right. sometimes the mirror um, can be a little dusty and, uh, and, and needs a little cleaning, but that the mirror nevertheless is always pointing to a, a greater reality that is God uh, himself, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, who is love. And, and it's okay to, for people to, to kind of wrestle with that distinction and to, and to encourage them to, to do so. Um, yeah, and I, I especially offered that chapter to, you know, that it might be helpful for some who've never really gotten that distinction and just really struggle with how can I possibly believe 
in this church that is so riddled with um, disorders, function, deception, malfeasance, cover-ups, uh, abuse of children. How can I possibly believe in that? I'm just inviting readers to take a step back and say, well, wait, what do we first believe in? That's, mm-hmm. that's cru- of crucial importance. Yeah. I mean, so we have to always go back to, to the, to the basics. So, so moving forward, you said that for you, writing was, was part of the healing journey for you to process it and then being able to get a publisher and do the other things to, to disseminate that, to help others as well in the journey. Uh, I guess I'm thinking like, like uh, in the book, you make the encouragement, obviously to, to a revolution of tenderness, um, reflection on, on ourselves. And that's part of it. Certainly. I mean, a call to holiness is, and a renewal and a commitment to holiness is, is always the answer. But how should we discern whether or not God is inviting us to, to be part of the systemic change, um, you know, mm-hmm. of, of, of the church or the institution? You know, I think of, I, I mean, honestly, I have a couple questions here. It, 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 like in light of everything that's come out with the, the grand jury um, and the McCarrick situation and the, everything that broke last summer, I mean, there's a lot of people that I talk to in chanceries and dioceses and seminaries that just feel very inept in knowing how to be part of the solution moving forward. And yeah, again, personal call to holiness, recommitment to a life of faith is the answer, obviously. Um, but honestly, when is it not the answer? Right. And, and, and do those answers, does that, does that solution still fall short of really kind of naming uh, what we can do practically kind of moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think sooner or later, all of us, I know I've, I've felt that you might feel the temptation to just go build a hermitage somewhere, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know like, you know, this, this is hopeless. Let's just start over. And, um, so if we can just withstand that temptation, um, uh, no, I do believe I believe there's a role. I personally, I do believe, uh, well, quite frankly, I think this is all coming to constitute very much uh, a special moment for the laity um, in the church. I think whatever whatever healing is going to look like in the next um, decade, I think the the voice and you know, prayerful graced action. I'm not just talking about kind of, you know, blunt, unprayerful um, protest. I'm talking about the very prayerful, discerning um, witness and prophetic challenge of faithful, committed Catholic laypersons. I just think that's going to be absolutely crucial. Um Thank God we do have, I believe, emerging, or, you know, we have in the United States a number of, of bishops who um, who get it. And um, our, our bishops, however, uh, sadly, are just paralyzed by an internal Episcopal culture that is in many ways riddled with clericalism and with kind of an old boy, um, you know, approach to, to things. And, um, so I don't know, especially given their loss of credibility, I I don't know that, uh, with the exception of, of certain voices as a body, um, I'm not expecting 
them to to lead through this crisis, I don't know that they're in a position to do that. Mm. Um, they nonetheless continue to be bishops, and they are bishops. And but I think with the support, but also with the prophetic challenge coming from um, the voices of faithful and committed Catholics, I think that is going to be part of the road ahead. So in that sense, I think all of yes, all of us have a role and a role to discern. And it's not simply a, a cliche or being dismissive to say that that begins with our personal holiness. I mean, in, in a way, it begins and ends with our personal holiness, how God wants to use individuals um, and, and groups. Um, that's, you know, that's another thing. But but it's also going to require from many, um, and I'm blessed to work with, with many of them, very vocal witness, um, sometimes calling out um, where, where it's necessary, sometimes challenging, calling a spade a spade, mm-hmm. um, pointing to disorder and and, and um, malfeasance where where it exists, and and that takes that takes courage. So it's also going to be it's going to take a lot of courage. But um, how we move through this, I certainly don't know. But I but I think we should all be discerning about how our Lord can be moving us to be a part of that healing process. I would say for a place to start in terms of prayer is, um, you know, whenever we go through suffering in our life or whenever we experience a sense of spiritual desolation, even if it's not connected to uh, a natural suffering, but just a moment of desolation, what the spiritual tradition has taught us is that that's an invitation by God. That desolation is an invitation by God to, to call us to conversion, to reassess what am I doing? What's my practice? Something's off. The dryness I'm feeling sometimes is an invitation for me to, um, to, 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 to rethink something particular. And it's not in the abstract. It's actually pretty concrete. It, it boils down to, well, there's one thing or a couple of things that I'm not, I'm, I'm not connecting right with. And so I need to kind of attend to what those things are. And I guess that's, what, that's my point that I was trying to make with the comment earlier is I don't want to be dismissive. Of course, it all begins and ends with a call to holiness. But, you know, when we talk about a a, a widespread spiritual desolation. I mean, that we're experiencing now, let's just say it, mm-hmm. you know, both mm-hmm. at the scandal mm-hmm. and then with the news that's coming mm-hmm. out about 67% of Catholics don't um, believe in the, in the real presence. I, I'm not sure if that's just a failure of catechesis, if I may be honest, I, I think that there's a, a deeper question of conversion and in a particular question of conversion that needs to be called upon in these times of our leaders, to be honest. Um, because mm-hmm. the things that are causing scandal, quite honestly, aren't on my conscience. You know, those aren't the things that I have mm-hmm. to repent of. And, and right. I say this, of course, with love. I have plenty of things on my own conscience that I have to repent of. But 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 covering up and abusing others is is not one of it. Um, but I, I think that's an invitation of 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 what the Lord does. That's the way He works, and and He allows these things to unfold to lead us to a deeper truth. As long as we're vulnerable. And humble and courageous enough to actually do the process of working through uh, whatever suffering and desolation that we're experiencing. Right, and you're absolutely right. And I have no doubt that's a large part of what's happening here, as has happened in many other chapters in the in the mm-hmm. church's history, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where there's a desolation from which arise, you know, blessed and holy souls, uh, the saints who. Are oftentimes catalysts of conversion and, and healing, and and um, have no doubt that that's a, a large part of what's what's going on here. So, so in that sense, we have to look at 
as ugly and awful as this is, um, this is an opportunity, and we can, just can only beg our Lord to turn, you know, open the floodgates of of grace and to sanctify His Church and to raise up from really from the ashes, you know, holy holy souls um, and uh, you know, blessed souls who, you know, and I, I think I'm I'm blessed to know. Uh, a number of them, um, um, persons who have been abused. And I, I, I highlight throughout the book stories of different individuals, kind of vignettes of personal stories of persons who've suffered horribly in, in the church who are living holy lives. And I mean, I, I, I don't doubt that, you know, we're going to be praying to saints someday who may have been sexually abused in the church. And, you know, so there's a huge opportunity here for, for God's grace and, um, and a moment of conversion. But to your point though, that conversion of the pastors, there's, oh boy, there, I, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of need and a lot of room and unfortunately a lot of blindness, I think to again to this really a very, kind of sickly internal culture in the Episcopate itself that in, and this will take years and probably a new generation of bishops to, there's any hope to overcome it. Um, so big need for conversion there. And prayer and prayer for, for us mm-hmm. to support, mm-hmm. support, support this whole system. So bringing this all together, um, encourage people to, to do their work, obviously, um, and, and to, to invite, be invited by God, you know, to see where, where they're called to respond to whatever the circumstances that they're facing. Now, Father Berg, I, I wish we had another 30 minutes, but I want to honor your time here. So a couple final questions <laughs> as we kind of wrap up our interview, um, mm-hmm. anything to plug the, the book, how can people get a hold of it or, or anything else? You got a blog or something that you love people to kind of connect onto or to, to see? Sure. Um, you know, really just, I mean, the book, uh, is, Hurting the Church a Way Forward for Wounded Catholics, and it's it's available on uh, Amazon, um, and that's probably the best way to, to to get the book. I I used to have a, a blog. I don't blog as, as much anymore, but I'm kind of out there. So you know, if people want to see what I'm about and what I say, they, you know, just just Google me and, <laughs> and you'll find me out there. You'll find him on the interwebs. He's he's there. So fantastic. And final question I ask all my guests, Father Berg, what gives you hope? Our Lord Jesus Christ and his, his fidelity and um, his presence um, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, uh, that's, that's what it's all about. And no matter what's happening in the church, outside the church, uh, the reality, we have to really remain, we have to clutch and remain united to is just the reality of, of God's presence in our lives and our union with him. And the truth that we are called to union with him for all eternity and to allow that to just fuel our hearts and fire our hearts and, and uh, to keep our eyes always set on, on the prize that's there before us. So no matter what gets in the way of that, always clinging to that deep, profound love that Jesus has for each and every single one of us, despite, mm-hmm. the, despite the hardships that we face. So, well, Amen. Amen. Well, Father Berg, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. God bless you and and have a great day. Thank you, Mario. Thanks so much for the opportunity. God bless. All 
right, another show is in the bag. What is the takeaway for me? Man, this is um, a very personal topic. And uh, so I'm truly grateful for Father Thomas Berg coming on. And I pray again, just that it helps all of you kind of make sense of it. So what's the takeaway? What's the takeaway? Um, Here I got the Bible open and I'm reflecting on Matthew's gospel where Jesus prays in Gethsemane. and, And as he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane and he leaves Peter and the sons of Zebedee, the quote says here that the Lord says, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Remain here and watch with me. You see, God suffered um, more than we have ever suffered. And the prayer and invitation with the Lord is to unite that with him. And We've heard this many a time, but here in scripture, there's just a very sweet and, and tender invitation by God to remain here and be watchful with him. See, God desires us to unite our suffering with him. That is why he came, is why he lived, it is why he experienced life as a man. And scripture gives us an invitation to be able to bring our our pain and our suffering with him. And again, not to be sadistic and not to dig up old wounds or to pick at old scabs, that's not healthy, but just to be able to find a place of rest and integration. And so if you are struggling with whatever emotional pain or cognitive dissonance, trust that as you do the process of remaining with God, inviting him into that pain, that things will make sense. And the seemingly irreconcilable will be reconciled because God is the master and gatherer of the universe. And God who created everything and desires to save us wants to do that in our hearts. And so whatever your experience has been, God bless you. And I pray that that you're able to find some peace and healing in your journey. And so the last thing that I want to say here is that because, as I mentioned, this is the beginning of year two for the Always So podcast, I want to invite you, dear listeners, to give me some feedback. I'm looking for some feedback. I want to be able to know what has worked for you in this show, what has not worked for you, and what would you like to see in year two? So we're going to put a survey link here uh, in the show notes for you to be able to fill out. And if you have five minutes, it isn't a very long survey. I want to be able to just receive some information from you that can help guide my thoughts and preparations for year two. Again, what has worked, what hasn't worked, who are guests that you would like to see, what are topics that you wish were discussed further in this show or new topics that, that I haven't even addressed. I'm very open and want to receive that feedback so that I can be able to to make the show continue to work for you, my dear listeners. So God bless everybody and I look forward to continuing the conversation and I hope that you all have a great and fantastic day. Be good and God bless. 